Hello. I'm English, and I'm also Calvin, and with me are Alan, who is also English. Sorry, are we, are we doing what? whatever happened to Baby Jane? Or <laughs> Yes, I'm doing my Victor Bono impression. <laughs> I'll do Victor Bono's mother. Uh, here, what, what's going on here? You're going to get a job as a piano player or something? <laughs> oh, was he meant to be English? <laughs> yeah, there's that whole bit when he's having tea with Betty Davis and he's like, yes, I'm English. You know? Oh, I thought he was doing well, like a stand. I think he's on air, putting uh, on. I thought he was doing an Oliver Hardy voice. <laughs> he does come very Oliver Hardy at some point. Yeah. Anyway, Alan. Hello. And Sol. Hello. Well, um, we are looking at Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is a bit out of our usual oeuvre because it's, a, it's an old film. Black and white. It's not even got colour. No killings. Actually, no, one killing. Two, one and a half killings. <laughs> loads of killings. Um, <laughs> so, Calvin, would you like to explain why we're doing this film? We are doing this film. Um, we're doing it now. This one got pushed back. We were supposed to do it earlier on in the year when I was intending for it to tie into the um, TV show Feud, which was quite popular um, at the start of the year. So, we're talking about whatever happened to Baby Jane... Uh, now because it got pushed back because of the release of Deep Blue Sea 2 which meant that we brought forward Deep Blue Sea in order to tie in with that and yeah. I think you can we can all agree that that was worth it <laughs> so that's why we're looking at this now but nonetheless it is it is a classic and, it's just um, one of our curious little choices we throw in at something a little bit different well, you know, we always try to look at things with a sequel bent to them, and I think this one, whilst never having spawned a direct sequel, has spawned some interesting... Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Well, yep, that, <laughs> as well as a remake and feud, um, mm. and a whole subgenre of horror films, you could argue. So that's why I picked it. I think it's going to be an interesting one to look at. I, I saw it for, for probably about the fifth time for the purpose of this podcast, and I have quite a different viewing of it now, actually, to what I mm. had before. Um, so, uh, did you guys see it before? Or did you just come to it for this podcast? Because I picked it. You made me watch it a while ago because we used to do a thing where we'd recommend each other films that we'd like curated for each oh, other, yeah. and then Calvin like tanked the whole thing and upset a load of friends because he just like stopped doing it and wouldn't respond to their to their messages and they they were trying to phone Look. him. And he Look, was like, when, when you select films that are like not available on DVD and you can't find them anywhere, you literally, I literally, the only ones that I left were ones that I physically could not find anywhere. And that was Sean's fault. Well, unfortunately, I think the ultimate death for that was us doing the podcast because we mm. just end up watching the stuff for this all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, I had seen it before, but. Long enough ago that I couldn't really remember much about it, so it was fairly fresh to me this time around. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, yeah, for those who don't know, it stars Betty Davis and Joan Crawford as washed-up actresses who are also sisters and live in a big, creepy house in Los Angeles. Uh, and the the story is sort of a... Um, just woman going mad, really. Uh, or women going mad. But yeah, it sort of spawned the subgenre of, uh, what is it? Hagsploitation, psycho biddy, uh, where you take a formerly glamorous actress and make him look ugly and, <laughs> uh, have them go nuts and possibly kill a few people. I mean, it, it I, I, yeah. I, not that I don't believe it's a subgenre, but 
you say the subgenre of this as if we're all intimately familiar with it. I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen a film in this subgenre <laughs> other than whatever happened to Baby Jane. Hmm. Are, are there any notable examples that I'm forgetting about? Or Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte? Yeah, I've not seen that. Uh, I did try Frog? to obtain it to watch for this episode, but I, I couldn't get hold of it on time. Straight Jacket? No. Mm. Anyway, th- I mean, they exist. I think they were bigger in the 60s and 70s. I don't think we see them as much anymore. Can, can I can I put my cards right out here on the table for everyone to see straight away? Certainly. Um, I didn't really like the film. Hmm. And hmm. I'm going to be pointing out a lot of things I didn't like. Uh, I haven't quite got the context of when it was released to understand why it it did such business mm, and it's very, I must say I had a really similar thought watching it again uh, the other day for this it was really odd to me that this was such a big hit uh, it doesn't strike me like something that audiences in the 60s would have um, gone for really it's definitely a hangover from Psycho I mm, mean mm. that seems mm-hmm. obvious yeah absolutely but there's a when I was reading about the Wikipedia and all that, and, and there's a thing here. It says the film's then unheard of and controversial plot meant that it originally received an X rating in the UK. Now mm. that jumped out to me because I didn't watch this and think, "Whoa, this is out there for sixties man." Yeah, no, what, I didn't expect what? to see this sort of thing. It didn't jump out at me as controversial or anything no, yeah. unheard what, of. What was controversial about it? Just dealing with sort of men, men, mental people or what? I don't. I think so, yeah. I think the fact that it's about the... I mean, first of all, it's starring, uh, you know, a, older, a pair of older ladies. One of them's going mad. It's the... I think there's also an element of, like, Betty Davis is, I would say, very much the star. And she's a villain. She kills people. She does terrible things. And yet we're still asked to well, sympathise with her in some scenes. There are entire scenes of her sort of just... Mm. Are we? Trying to understand... Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, when she's, like, on the floor in front of the mirror with the harsh light on her and she's crying and... I didn't... Drinking. And I didn't... Doesn't know how she's going to get a situation. I think she's a very sympathetic character. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> this is something to come on to, I think. The characterizations of the of the two main characters in that mm. there is no subtlety to it and there is no... Grey area, I think Jane is a total cunt from beginning to end, and you kind of feel sympathetic for her because you get the impression that she's actually losing her mind rather than just being nasty sometimes. And Blanche is just kind of the put upon. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's maybe I could try this. Oh no, it didn't work. Mm, uh, and yeah. it, and they're just like that all the way through. There's no development. Mm. I, I'd just like to right. point out for our American listeners that uh, we're English, so when we call a woman a cunt, it isn't sexist, because we call men cunts as well. All right, carrying on. It's <laughs> cultural. <laughs> to your point, actually, Alan, on the, the thing about the character journey, it was I had a bit of a different experience watching it this time, because I watched it with my um, boyfriend who'd never seen it before. We'd watched Feud, but this was the first time watching Baby Jane, and he was quite the harsh critic of it and did not enjoy the film at all. <laughs> but he's not... He's, um, and I think... Does he watch a lot think, of older films? Like, just just out of interest, like, what, where's he coming from? Um, a lot of the ones that he's seen, like, I've shown him, like, Psycho showed him that, really liked that. Jaws enjoyed that. Star Wars fell asleep. Yeah, you know what? It sounds like to me, like, the first 
two, he was like, all right, he really loves this film. I'll just, I'll pretend to like it for him. But now he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, this is like the fifth one of these shitty old films he's made me watch. I'm sick of it. I'm, you know. you've, been, you've been going out long enough now that yeah, you can yeah. stop pretending. Hmm. Well, t- to your point, though, Alan, because um, the film is, in a way, it's almost like The Incredibles, which we talked about last week, in that it has this staggered opening, like we see... yeah. Um, baby Jane and her sister Blanche when they are mm. very young children and baby Jane is a like a vaudeville performer um, and then we jump forward to the 30s where they're established actresses and then we move forward to what they what is you know then uh, contemporary 1962 I was waiting for some I was I'm trying to identify in hindsight what is the inciting incident that kind of sets everything off? Because what you were saying about um, Jane, you you kind of do get a sense of her sort of mentally unraveling as the film goes on. But there are just times where it's like, oh, you're just actually a real nasty piece of work. Yeah. For example, when she takes Blanche's uh, lovely budgie and cooks it and then serves it to her. Like that's mm. uh, that in the context of the story that we saw seemed quite unprovoked to me, and yet we're supposed to take that as a moment where Blanche is like, "Oh God, I can't cope with this anymore. She's going mad. I need to get her committed." What is it exactly that sets that off in Jane? Because mm. presumably she's not serving up like dead animals, you know, that she finds around the house to her sister every yes, day. Yes, because. Ultimately, we're supposed to accept that the inciting incident was the car accident that left Blanche disabled. And mm. that was, what, 25 years earlier? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or something along those lines? So, yeah, uh, yeah well, there's, not, there's too big a gap there. Like, at mm. what point did this become a problem? Mm. Yeah, I, I do think mm. the film would have worked a lot better if, um, if it had been more immediate, like, the immediate yeah. aftermath of that. But I, I suppose it's just to make it kind of believable that the two of them have, you know, fallen into obscurity and had these uh, mm. careers kind of plucked from them. And uh, what's But there you go, like Bla- Blanche has, in, in, in one swift moment of this car crash, she's lost her career completely and uh, also lost the use of her legs. That is a massive, like, traumatic life event. But then we we come to her twenty five years later, and she seems completely well adjusted to that. She she still lives a comfortable life. I don't know she, about well adjusted to it. That one of the opening scenes is her watching one of her old movies and like just fawning yeah. over herself in it. Yeah, yeah, but that's but, all yeah, right. In a, to, in a fond to move on way. past. No, yeah, she's not very like, much. Like, she's not constantly watching films going mental. She's she's mm. like remembering what it was like and but she does she's not like crying going oh my god i've lost everything or anything like that basically what my point is that all her problems in life come from her sister yeah Yeah. rather than from her own life well i I think the film Mm. wants you to to think that she is a bit um clinging to the glory days in a, a way that's kind of like she hasn't moved on and is quite sad i mean you know similarly when she gets those letters that her sister had been uh, intercepting and keeping from her. She's, you know... Mm. That was the only thing that I could identify as being a inciting incident in the uh, contemporary era mm. of the film. Like, the fact that Blanche's old movies are being rerun on mm. t- television and yeah. new audiences discovering as she's getting this new fan yeah. mail. But they don't make a big enough point of it. Yeah. Um, Before we just jump too far in, can I just take us back? Because I want to make a, a point about... When they're setting up the film, and there's a bit, the bit that's set in 1937, when we're mm. establishing 
oh, now Blanche is the successful one and Baby Jane is an annoying, like, hanger-on. There's a scene, basically, all that gets explained by these two sort of film executives who are watching some rushes mm-hmm. and then uh, they're sort of walking through the thing. And it's just... It must be one of the weakest scenes in film history. It's mm. it's purely exposition. <laughs> it's it's really badly written. The the acting is just like oh well, uh, here's a little bit of exposition. I have to go. Oh yeah, and it's just badly. F- I mean, it's not even well filmed to make it visually interesting in any way. Uh, mm. I mean, it it didn't set me up well to mm. be honest. Mm. That's the beginning of the film. I I that, that that whole like sequence did really stick out to me this time, and sort of like I'm not sure if there's any information that's departed there that they couldn't have figured out how to yeah. get in somewhere else in the story. And yeah. it's not like a thirty second scene. It must be about six minutes. Well, I, I think I think it rushes through the sort of prequel stuff, setting it all up. Um, the the little prologue uh, bits and bobs a bit too quickly. I, I think mm. I think the film would have benefited from letting us live with Baby Jane as a youngun for more than yeah. the two scenes we get, and then this middle mm. bit for like some proper material that isn't just a hastily um, assembled thing with these executives that isn't very good. Um, yeah, and give us give us some emotional subtlety, right? Show us that she's a child star, but she's getting arrogant. Okay, yeah. but like, mm. but then that she's she's just a total bitch. Like that's all she is. And then uh, later yeah. on, when she's when she's a fail failed, there's, we don't see her like, oh my god, she's despairing. She's turning to the bottle, whatever. We just know that she's being a bitch mm. about it. That's all um, we get. Like, there's no, and then what, later on, she's just a bitch now, who's going even crazier. There's mm. not, there's no journey there at all. And then my kind of the contra problem to that is that I found Blanche to be incredibly irritating uh, mm. in her ab- inability to do anything. Oh, like, God, yes. go to the window and just fucking shout. The neighbor is about twenty I, feet away yeah, from you. you know I was going to ask you guys mm. about this. Like, what is that? There's a very specific term, a screenwriting term. To, to avoid things like this, when characters on screen are doing things so blatantly stupid that no one, like, watching the film would actually do, um, and you kind of lose the sense of reality of it. Because this is what my boyfriend was, like, having. He was like, well, why isn't she just, like, shouting? Why oh, isn't see, she... I, I kind of, like, I was... Because I kept thinking, like, okay, I assume there's a reason that I've missed why she can't just shout out the window. So maybe she should, mm. like, set fire to the house or, like, just outside the house yeah. so someone will see. But maybe the... I think at the time I thought, oh, the house must be, like, far away enough from the road. But then that neighbour keeps coming over, so it doesn't re- Yeah, mm. there's a lot mm. of holes in the logic of it there. But And there's a big mm. moment where she's she gets to the top of the stairs. Uh, obviously, she can't walk. But she can see the phone at the bottom of the stairs. She's like, oh, could I could I make it? Have I got the strength to get down there? And she decides not to do it. Mm. Um, and then later on, that kind of pays off because she does do yeah. it. She does have to make this effort. But it's just like, sit on your ass and slide down the stairs. It'll take you about 20 seconds. It's not... I mean, and, yeah. And, yeah, you might get a couple of bruises. It's not going to seriously damage you. Well, what Just, really annoys need, me if is... If you were that, that desperate and you were that scared to get out. But we know... And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to believe that she's thinking... Oh, do you know what, Jane? She's just having a bad day. She'll be all right. Or, or believe that she's mm. been so put upon for twenty years that she's scared of her. In that kind of yeah. like, it, it would be a, a kind of a, um, an analogy of a of, of a you know an abusive marriage kind of thing. Mm, mm. That kind of fear 
but I never got that from her. I yeah. just got that she wasn't physically able to get down the stairs, and that was. And annoying. this is what I was talking yeah. about earlier about the like the lack of distinction between when we go from okay, this is just every day for these ladies to oh crap, she actually yeah. really wants to get out of here. Mm. I don't get the sense that Joan Crawford's been trying for thirty years to get out of this situation. No, no. I think the film's trying to say, oh no, this has just stepped up another Something's level. Happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I don't know what that thing is. Mm. Yeah, and and similarly, when she does finally get to the phone later on, it, it really annoyed me that um, she doesn't just say like, "Doctor, for fuck's sake, please help! Uh, my sister trying to kill police. me. Police, get some cops <laughs> over here. Uh, police, I'm phoning the police now. Police, please come. Uh, you know, just phone. Yes. Like, but instead, I'm she, being kept she prisoner kind of, in this address. Please come, doctor. Please, my sister's just coming now, and she's gonna fucking kill me. So please, really quick, bring the police. Ah, you know, it. it instead, it's yeah. this weird thing of like, oh, it's so tense because I know my sister's behind me, and now I, I've got to kind of pretend, like, be very subtle in my. I, I, mm. Yeah, I don't know. And I think really. you could do that if you portrayed these characters differently so that you believe that was there was a fear of reprisal uh, over and above she's mental and she might just hit me because i don't think there's been any physical violence up to that point i don't think she fears her physically no. she's mm. she's a it's a psychological thing so then when she comes up and just kicks her in the face it's kind of like okay well no, she kicks like a mannequin in the face and then they cut <laughs> On there. <laughs> oh, this was a question I had actually. This is interesting. I think thought Calvin would be best one to this. Mm. When was it that films were able to do proper fight sequences <laughs> and, and not this badly edited kind of choppy? Because even in the Bond films, the fight scenes are some are so shit. Because it's like you see, you can see them pulling the punches. You can like it's sped up so it looks mm. like someone's falling over. Like when did you get proper stunt guys and and proper fight sequences? And what's I mean, there the, was, why, there were, why did it happen? There were heaps of martial arts films in like the 70s that were doing it, weren't they? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would argue the Red Grand James Bond fight in The Training from Russia with Love is a mm. great example of a fight scene, but that is, yeah, more dynamically shot and yeah. lit, I suppose. It's a lot in darkness, so you can't really see... I mean, these these are a couple of older women. I mean, what are you going to get out of them? I guess they're not they're not trying to make it look like... The born identity of it. Shake the camera. I, I was surprised at how much they actually hold pull back from showing the violence because it's a lot of you'll mm. see like Betty Davis like kicking thin air and then Joan Crawford recalling. You never see like foot make contact with. Yeah, you never Joan Crawford. You never and even the later on in the film when well, you never see well, the no, hammer even, even... connect with the head. <laughs> But even then, like, the psycho shower scene is a brilliant bit of editing. It tricks your mind into believing that, you know, you, you have seen something, because the edits are so um, uh, impressive. But here, it's uh, there's a point in the film where Betty Davis does kill someone. She takes a hammer and bashes a maid over the head with it. It's all done sort of almost like a 1950s uh, TV show. Like, you just yeah. see the maid goes out of frame... Betty Davis comes in, wax, obviously thin air, and then dramatic music, and we're to believe that she's dead. Um, I was just surprised with how pedestrian those scenes were, and if, if you were trying to ape Psycho, if you were trying to mm. make another success like Psycho, wouldn't you make more of those moments? You'd think so, yeah. Mm. Well, mm. I'm glad you brought that up, because another point I made was that this feels like a hack director trying to do Hitchcock. And, mm. you know... It's Robert Aldrich who, mm. who directed this, and 
his his thing was like you know big macho kind of action films westerns that sort of thing this yeah, was a little bit out a of bit the ordinary for him harsh i mean yeah i mean he was a talented hack i mean he knows how to put a thing together but <gasps> it felt like someone trying to do something that was out of their sphere yeah yeah i, I mm. think that's fair yeah and like i would like to have seen the hitchcock version of this because it would have been a lot better mm. and the mm. tension would have been there i don't think he could make a film with two female leads but <laughs> Although by by definition, by pushing himself to make something outside of his uh, usual, you know, sphere of of what he does, wouldn't that make him not a hack? Um, no, because he tried to make it fit to what he already knew. <laughs> and it didn't He's work. trying to grow artistically, you know, more of a failed artist than a hack. Uh, okay. I certainly think this is probably his most famous film as well. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, obviously produced and directed it, so mm. it, as much of his baby as... Um, as as Jane. What? Well, that didn't yeah. work at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, more, I wanted more ambiguity in terms of their relationship and more power play. Blanche needed yeah, to have a point where she exerted power because, look, hey, it's my money, or hey, mm, uh, I mm. can get this tension where you can't, whatever it was needed to be. Yeah, and I, never, I think we I've, never got that. I think I've mm. kind of had a similar experience to you with Alan in that I kind of were well, basically that like the the opening scenes are great. I think set in the olden days, as baffling as it is that. Um, a girl tap dancing was considered entertainment, um, <laughs> and that like that boy wants her to sing that awful, fucking awful song. Um, like, is, is, I've written it a, a letter to Daddy. <laughs> oh my god! It, it, I mean, if that passed for entertainment back then, then no wonder there was a depression. <laughs> but. It, it's a great um, few scenes that, you know, I think they are actually very well um, crafted scenes, those first few, how they're put together. And and then we just suddenly thrown into this crap with the executives that's rubbish. And then it's just two people, two old women talking and it's really boring. And I just kind of tuned out for a good chunk of the film because I was really bored. Mm. And then it kind of kicks into gear again as uh, Jane becomes completely unhinged and it becomes this kind mm. of psycho uh, knockoff. No, I, I think the film does have pacing issues. I think it's... You could cut a, a, a good half an hour out of this easily yeah. and uh, you, you wouldn't miss it. It's I, I forgot actually how long this thing was until I started watching it and then I was like hmm, Mm. scenes are taking a long time to get to a very just minor point or, you know, like, you know, the, the, um, John Crawford and the maid have about 10 minutes talking about the fan letters that the character's been receiving. Um, and they, t- they literally take about 10 minutes to get through. Okay. These were delivered from the TV station. Jane's obviously hidden them or sent them, you know, chucked them in the bin or whatever. Yeah. And then at some point, uh, we introduce a big pianist. <laughs> He he's not that Victor relevant Bruno. to the story, is he? He looks exactly like Chris <laughs> well, Chandler in some shots. Did you did you notice that, Calvin? <laughs> it's just his physique. Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, I was thinking that. 
Victor Buono appears um, about halfway through the film as sort of like a washed up, classically trained, classically educated musician. Because um, uh, Jane has put out an advertisement in the paper that she, I think spurred on by the fact that her sister's movies have been played on TV and she's mm. getting, you know, uh, reclaiming some former glory. Jane feels like she must now do the same thing and she wants to revive her <laughs> terrible old act. Yeah, and, um, and we get a a sequence where she performs that song that was bad enough to watch when it was a little girl doing it, but when it's an older woman and she's not quite hitting the notes properly. Not quite. (laughs) That's the point. No, 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 I know. But honestly, that is one of the most unpleasant things I can think (laughs) of in, in filmic history. It's, it's up there with Jay doing the crazy frog on the in-betweeners for like stuff that I, (laughs) I struggle to sit through because it's so cringy. It's my favourite scene in the film. Oh, I love God. it because just, it's so ugh. excruciating and because it's so sad. And yeah, I that's think definitely Victor the Buono... point. That's definitely the point where we're supposed to feel sorry for her. I just um, got annoyed to be honest. I was just yeah. Like, oh, I mean, God, my stop reaction it. This is horrible. Stop it. I guess my reaction was more like, oh, so she is definitely supposed to be mental then, rather than just <laughs> nasty. And so mm. I guess that's why you feel more sorry for her, and it, mm. it kind of works. Mm. Uh, and I think yeah. Victor Buono plays it really well. Like for the most part, he's like during these yeah. whole scenes, he's like putting on a fake English accent, and they're having some comic relief. Um, and then he starts like just tinkling, playing the piano, and she comes in and sings. And he's at first like wonderful, he says, and he's like doing the two <laughs> gritted teeth. He's just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like he knows how absurd the situation yeah. is. But then the camera cuts to him at one point while she's singing and dancing, and you just see a look on his face that's sort of like, oh fuck, this is like actually pretty scary. This is pretty gnarly. Like <laughs> what is going on here? And then I love after that scene, after that bit, they're talking about how much money they're gonna, she's gonna pay him to be, um, you know, help her revive her act. And he's like considering it. And then for a moment, they have a shot of Jane like looking him up and down, like just like checking him out kind of thing. And then her smile grows slightly bigger. And they don't really do anything with it, but I think we're supposed to think that she's kind of got the hots for it. Oh, absolutely like, we are. There's a few little um, yeah. moments like that, not just that one. Yes, but I, f- I got the sense that it was more like she was so desperate for anyone to pay attention to yeah. her. So that even that he, yeah. and he yeah. was, and so and she was like, well, I'm a glamorous beauty. Of course, he's looking at me as if I'm a kind of... Uh, hot prospect so i'll look at him that way yeah uh yeah that was one of the more subtle aspects of it um Mm. which was nice well i think there are quite a few subtle elements in here um just behind motivation and um and whatnot like they they never say that i don't think they ever have jane say oh well your movies are you know you're getting attention for these old movies i want to get attention for my old crap as well i don't know if they ever say that but i think that's what we're to believe yeah it certainly comes across definitely i i think that um whatever he's victor buono is that his name the the pianist (laughs) i i think he's Mm. probably the best thing in the film as far as i'm concerned oh he's brilliant I love him so much. He's hilarious. And his uh, cockney mother as well that he <laughs> lives with. She's brilliant. Oh, I mean, I wasn't a big fan oh. of her. To me, a bit broad. A bit broad. Oh, I love it. I love it when she's playing his secretary. <laughs> really nice. Uh, I could just watch a whole film of those two bickering, really. But... <laughs> I think this film kind of... Was he nominated for a Best Supporting Actor award for it? Yes, he was. Oh, uh, really? Academy Award, yeah. Best Supporting Actor. Ooh. And I think this kind of... Yeah, he died at a very young age, but... 
That must have really uh, been like salt in the wound for uh, what's her name, who got all upset <laughs> about the Oscars and not giving her Joan Crawford. Yes, yeah. I guess we'll 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 get there. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, because um, once he appears in the film, it moves at a much quicker pace. We have like the fights, the uh, beating up scene, um, and Joan Crawford is then tied up on her bed. Um, the maid is killed, and then uh, this is another problem because after that phone call point, basically. Joan Crawford's character could be played by a doll. Like, it could be played by a mannequin mm. after that because she doesn't get a chance to do anything. She barely says anything and she's tied up. She's just she's just like a MacGuffin by that point. Mm. Uh, and yeah, the story true. becomes about Jane. Mm. Is she going to get caught? And that sort of thing. And so you kind of lose one of your elements then. Like, too yeah. much. You lose it too much. Because she basically just slowly well, dies for the rest of the film because she's hardly eaten anything in days. And so she just sort of slowly dies of starvation. And it's a real shame because to say that you've got these two, you know, rival actresses, like, way past their prime mm. and, like, going all out here, I think it's a shame that you don't have more scenes that uh, make the most of that until probably the beach scene at the end. But mm. we'll get there. Hello, listeners. This is the point of the show where we would put an advert if anybody was willing to pay us to flog their crap. But as nobody will, we're going to advertise ourselves instead. So, if you'd like to help us grow and develop as a podcast, then please just take a quick second to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast. There you can join in on discussion of the episodes and, of course, get first notification of any other news or items that we post. And by liking the page, you're helping us look more popular, and that will hopefully help us reach more people. Do it now! Another thing that annoyed me, um, that Jane, particularly towards the end, Jane does a lot of things where she kind of goes, What am I going to do? <laughs> and, oh, oh no, they're going to try and stop me. Like, basically speaking her thoughts out What's loud. What's that, Sooty? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And she sold it as well as you can, and that's credit yeah, to the actor. Yeah, yeah. But it's just bad writing, and it's like, and like I know I can tell she's distressed and what she's worried about. You don't have to tell me that mm, she yeah. just murdered someone. She's obviously freaking out that she's actually just killed someone. Mm. Mm. This is it. Like I think it's what I was saying that I, I kind of find it odd that this film was um, a big hit and is as well regarded nowadays as it is. It's. It, it's largely because it is so so much a B movie in its sensibilities, and it's not like it ever quite transcends that. But somehow it kind of has, because I think it is held up now and regarded as a, a you know a real cinematic classic. And I, I don't think it is held up as quite a campy B movie mm. that it kind of is. Um, Performance wise, I think Betty Davis is pretty incredible every time she's on screen. Unfortunately, she's on screen a lot. I think she's just really going balls to the wall and it's over the top and hammy and camp and all those things, but I think it's mesmerizing. Really? See, this is it. I I knew we were going to come up against, I knew you were going to love her, but I. I when I was watching it, I was really paying attention to the performances because it's the second time I've watched it, and you know I was trying to be more analytical. And I, I I don't think there's anything particularly remarkable about the acting. To be honest, it's just kind of she's just kind of doing it. I don't know. I think that's told. definitely something definitely something that's lost in time somewhat because yeah maybe. back then acting wasn't quite that 
committed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just like you just come in and do the lines. So that's why I think she's yeah really getting in touch with it. I think it's just a shame that the character hasn't got more there for mm. her to do. It's just mm. batshit throughout. Um, do you think we're ready to talk about the ending now? Yeah, yeah. Because um, when when things go really crazy and Victor Buono obviously sees Joan Crawford, he runs off to tell someone. Betty Davis hops her in a car and they drive to the beach, the seaside. Um, and then she dances around for a little bit, makes sandcastles that she's very proud of. Well, she reverts to a sort of childlike state, mm. uh, which is the important thing, I think, because we're supposed to be connecting this back to when she was a child star. And so mm. she's regressed back to that, and so we get to yeah, get onto a beach, and she's she like, "Oh, I'll play in the sand like happy. a child." And I, I don't really like much of the stuff on the beach. It just seems like a really, I, I quite enjoy like the third act of the film, like the second act of the film, even when they're, you know, her going dealing with the kind of psycho slash misery type stuff at home. Mm. But when they get to the mm. beach, it just feels like such a kind of that's all you got kind of ending. It's just like... It's eh. very odd, isn't it? Um, and then there is a twist that I I, mm. I think um, I, I quite like, actually. I, it's, it's the one element mm. of the ending that I do really quite enjoy and do think is quite um, an interesting little element of the film. The twist being... Uh, so, so obviously it's set up earlier that Baby Jane uh, crashed a car into her sister and, like, broke her legs mm. and ruined her career and um and mm. the twist is oh actually blanche was driving the car because she hated her sister as much and crippled herself as a driver and the sister was just drunk off her face so like after she crawled out of the car the police assumed she did it she didn't remember anything um mm. and it's just mm. this kind of role reversal flip on the head of of the dynamic to a point mm. you kind of think oh they're as bad as each other Mm. <laughs> and um, I th- I think conceptually that twist should work. I bet it works mm, in the book. Mm. I think here it doesn't work at all because we haven't had enough set up that uh, Blanche is capable of that. It kind of explains why Blanche is very reticent towards Jane because perhaps it's led by guilt. But again, yeah. like I, we we need at least a little bit of sense of setup of that. Yeah, and. Uh, it just doesn't pay off, and I also think it does doesn't have time mm. to sink in. Mm. Yeah, I and agree actually with that. get any feeling out of it. It's it can, and I, like I wasn't even sure when I was watching it if she was just saying this, making this up to make Baby Jane go. Oh right, in that case, we're not going to be in trouble. I'm not going to be in trouble anymore. We can go to the police. Uh, mm. Like I wasn't sure if I was supposed to take it seriously or not. I think it's. A good element of the film in that it, it retroactively makes the rest of the film a lot more interesting. Um, mm. But like you say, it, perhaps they could have uh, included some elements that would pay off on a repeat viewing. You know, it's, it's a scene where Blanche is like having a go at Jane, and then she's like has to stop herself and go, "Okay, do you know what? I'm, I'm, yeah. I shouldn't be doing that." Kind of that sense mm. of like. And then Elvira, or whatever the maid's name was, is like, oh, why don't you just tell her to piss off? And she's like, no, I, I owe her a lot. Uh, like, you know, something like that. Give us, give us any sense of the character between them, like, that, that could, that could be ambiguous. My problem with the twist is that I guess, like, like Saul said, it makes the film sort of more interesting and believable in hindsight. It explains mm. certainly Joan Crawford's character's motivations, yeah. but I don't know if it changes 
much. Like, Jane was always a bitch. She, we never saw her sort of, I think she's kind of sympathetic, but that's more down to bad parenting. I than think the else. twist gives Jane a much needed element of um, sympathy, personally. None of the other mm. attempts to give her a sympathetic character trait really worked for me. This The only one that landed was this mm. one, the twist. So I, I think mm. it, it recolors how you see both characters. Um, mm. So I, I, I like but, it for that, personally. Also, yeah. by this point, Jane has fully regressed and has has gone completely nutty. And so we, we're seeing her now as a sympathetic character. Like, oh my God, she's this tragic figure now. But mm. like 24 hours previously, she's murdered someone and, and yeah. she's been actually quite vicious and nasty and evil. And although that could be directed by her mental illness, yeah, yeah it's very conscious. Whereas by the end, she mm. has completely lost it. And so it's much easier yeah. to sympathize with her. And in fact, mm. it's very much shown that, you know, she's a dipsomaniac. She's... She's ruled by her alcoholism, and when she's drunk, she does things that she might not when she's more clear-headed. But then when you see her, she is clear-headed. She does evil things still, but it's just mm. much more cold and calculated. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know why I'm supposed to feel sympathetic towards her. Well, this is it. I mean, I, I basically don't at all. <laughs> and then I think the ending's very abrupt and just... Uh not massively satisfying because it is just her sort of dancing there as the police find a sister on the beach and and it's a bit of a sunset boulevard kind of ending isn't it like she finds her audience again well apparently in in the book the police are saying like oh come on like where's your sister where's your sister and she just loses the plot completely and it's not Mm. you don't know in the book whether the sister's ever found or not Mm. um Mm. which in the very closing shots of this, you see the police going, oh, look, she's over there, and wandering over to, to her, mm. and presumably mm. saving her life. Yeah. I always thought she was dead. She's already dead by that point. I always thought she was dead in previous viewings, and for this one, I, w- I, I was less certain of that. For some reason, I remembered seeing like her last breath kind of thing during that scene with her talking to uh, Jane. Mm. But we don't get that. No, I, I both times I watched it, it never even crossed my mind that they hadn't saved her. Um, I don't know. I, but I, 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 I love the of, ending. I think, I think the ending would be pretty good actually if it was like what Alan just described, and we don't even know if they are going to be able to find her out on the beach in it because she does mm. just look like any sunbather. Um, just quickly before we move on, I really hate the music, <laughs> the score. It's very uh, overscored, isn't it? Oh, it's so annoying. It's like <laughs> Mickey Mouse kind of uh, scoring, like just overly punctuating movements. And uh, yeah, I mean, if this wanted to be psycho, it needed something something as revolutionary as that score, something as uh, chilling and suspenseful. But this, it just, it, it feels again, it just feels like something from like the 1950s television. Um, mm. Yeah, really, mm. really don't like it. I can't say I noticed it particularly, but um, that oh. means I 
didn't. How can you not? Like it. It's like <laughs> either. Boom, 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 boom. I think it's because I just like Joan Crawford's film. like going for the phone and it's. I think I just I'm just used to that from films from back in the day. I think I just kind of tuned it out. Yeah, but not from the '60s. Not from this point. I don't. I, I for whatever reason I was thinking it was from the '50s when I was watching it. So maybe I was more forgiving of <laughs> some things yeah, I put up to just true. old school mannerisms. But um, are we ready to move on? Do we have um, any more about the film? Well, I've got. I've got. Kind of talk about what came after. I've got a question. Just why? Why is it stylized very specifically as whatever? happened to baby jane there's two separate words instead of whatever is one word because it's whatever happened to baby jane not whatever <laughs> happened to baby jane is it know. did whatever just not exist in the 60s have we not merged the two words together yet is that what this is or whatever happened to baby jane whatever happened to baby jane <laughs> i don't know yeah <laughs> Uh, I've got I've got a quiz I've just thought of. Uh, here's the first question: Who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> um, what's eating Gilbert Grape? <laughs> Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> oh, you know what? For the longest time before I watched this, I I couldn't distinguish this film from. Uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I just kind of com- thought they were the same film. Mm. Then I actually watched one of them, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, it's nothing like that other one. So, something that we've kind of glossed over, um, I think we've focused very much on the uh, the film, uh, and I think that's the right thing to do, because I think it's been talked about so much, and you can read so many articles about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford's uh, fractured relationship, their rivalry, the terrible things that they did yeah, to each other while you know, filming You know that scene when, uh, when she finds her on the telephone? She yes. improvised kicking her in the head. She just did it on set. <laughs> like, it wasn't expected. <laughs> well, apparently she did actually, like, give her a bit of a kicking um, <laughs> at some point, which may be why the sequence is as it is currently filmed, where the two of them are clearly not in the same room <laughs> when it's uh, being done. But then, of course, Joan Crawford retaliated by, like, wearing weights when Betty Davis had to, like, drag her body along the floor. Um, and put Betty Davis's she, back yeah, out. Yeah, she, she put on, like, uh, th- th- those joke things where you shake someone's hand and it electrocutes them. She put them <laughs> all over her body, so she's just getting zapped. <laughs> she, um, um... And she, she, um, she just put, like, she just hung used condoms in a trailer <laughs> sent her dead rats in the post. <laughs> this is it. Like they could get away with it in this day and age because they just oh no, we're just method acting. <laughs> just, like really into the into the character. She kept she kept phoning her up and asking if her refrigerator was running, and it just got really annoying. <laughs> like obviously, the two hated each other in real life. Allegedly, um, I recommend everyone like go out and see Feud. Find it wherever you can. It's a really really great show. I think it's only about ten episodes. Um, chronicles the making of Baby Jane, and then beyond that, and it just kind of focuses on Davison Crawford's relationship and what that feud meant. Um, it's really, really brilliant. Like, honestly, like one of the best se- uh, series I've ever There's seen. There's a really great scene in one of the the episodes towards the end where um where where one of them puts cling film over the toilet and waits for the other one to go, and she she gets like just wet like herself. Uh, it's, oh, it's horrible, but it's really funny. Mm. I, mean, I I appreciate uh, bitterness 
<laughs> as much as anyone, but they do just sound like mm. a couple of old bitches yeah. being nasty to each other. Well, that's and, it. Like, I... You know, nasty to other people, nasty to their kids. Both of these people have had <laughs> a, a child printer like horrible. My mother was a total bitch autobiography. Yeah. But I think I think this is sort of telling of what Hollywood was at one time. I mean, both these women were mm. products of kind of unpleasant uh, childhoods. And that's the sort of people mm. that went to become actors because it wasn't a, a nice mm. or glamorous job. Yeah. Especially mm. theatre was one thing, but a film in the 20s. Mm. Um, and so mm. it attracted these people who had no direction and, and kind of no, no one looking after them. <laughs> Uh, and therefore, mm. these damaged people were taken advantage of by the studios and mm. treated like shit, really. And it's no wonder that they end up as mad and nasty people. Mm. Mm. Um, so, uh, obviously, this film was a, a massive success. So they wanted to uh, capitalize on that and get a sequel out pretty quickly, um, which would have been Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which wouldn't have been a direct sequel, but it was a similar sort of, you know, Mm. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford are two middle-aged women who just do dreadful things to each other for two hours. Um, So it was supposed to be Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. It was supposed to be called Whatever Happened to Cousin Charlotte as well. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, except the roles were going to be switched, so it was going to be Betty Davis, who was the sort of the sweeter, nicer of the two. Well, that was the idea, but apparently Betty Davis had Robert Aldrich's ear a bit more on the set of this production. I mean, certainly she had the clout of having been nominated for the Oscar for the previous one. I think there was one story about, like, Joan Crawford, like, took a break from filming to go and have a nap, and then basically they were out shooting in this location and no one woke her up. And so they just left her out on the location. Um, she had to find her own way back. So uh, she quit and got sued by the studio. And then they brought in Olivia de Havilland to play the Joan Crawford part. Yeah, so Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Saw it a while ago. Haven't seen it recently. But uh, I remember it not being as good as Baby Jane. Uh, mm. Though it was still nominated for plenty of Oscars. And yeah. uh, also starred Victor Buono. Oh, it, it it does strike me like the way to follow it up would be a a spiritual sequel, which is what mm. it sounds mm. like they try to do. Um, shall we do ratings before we get on to like how we would make our sequels? Uh, I gave it a five. Okay, as good as Tremors six. <laughs> <laughs> I um I give it a seven. Senior sevens. Been a while. I think I'm gonna go eight, and that's come down quite a bit from previous viewings. Like uh, before, I rewatched it for the uh, this review. I would have probably said, "Oh, it's a ten out of ten. I love it. It's brilliant." Uh, and I still think there's a lot of great stuff in it. Like I know we've focused on a lot of the flaws. Yeah, yeah. I, I, in our discussion, I feel like mm. I've come across a lot more negatively than I meant to. So Alan's steering the conversation. That's what that is. Um. <laughs> well, no, I think I think it was good because a lot of these flaws like just occurred to me on this viewing, and yeah. I'd never really seen them before. But I think you know there is a it's a, it's still a good thriller. Yeah, I, I like I say, is a kind of pulpy B movie noiry thrillery horror. Like it, I think it does the trick for what it is. 
Right, so should we talk about how we could approach something, well, I would say sequel, but I, I think the obvious thing is a modern remake. That is the mm. obvious thing. Mm. And I'm intrigued to have a casting discussion, if um, yeah. if if nothing else. So, I mean, Meryl Streep's obviously who you cast, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We're thinking of who would go next to her. Yeah, this is uh, the tough bit. Um, also, she's not washed up. Like the whole point of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford doing this was that they needed that extra um, um, career revitalization because they were of a certain age they weren't being hired for anything yeah, anymore I, I don't think you need that meta element to it though do you i mean who who, who is a washed up well that was my thing yeah because meryl streep can have any role she wants um i mean i would have loved margot kidder to be one of them <laughs> what about angela lansbury <laughs> <laughs> would you just go eat, just go super old with it <laughs> 80 odd years old you could do this film with Olivia de Havilland. She's still alive. She's like 103. Uh, <laughs> and Angela Lansbury. And Kirk Douglas. <laughs> is, is <laughs> Let's get some... I want jobs for centenarian actors. Come on. Know, who's going to play Kirk Douglas's right? mother? <laughs> um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> Let's go in the opposite direction. Let's have Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I know you have. It's Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, she'd be really good actually. But in which part? Jane? No, I tried no, to do more I as I can't Blanche. see her being Jane, no. You need someone who can no. really let loose to be Jane. Uh, well, yeah, actually, like what, well, the thing I was thinking of all the time I was watching this was Misery. So, mm. Kathy Bates. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same, yeah. Hmm. And she, she is also in feud. The thing is, we've, we've oh, already she... seen Kathy Bates go completely unhit. Like, we saw Kathy Bates go unhinged in misery, and then we saw Kathy Bates, like, multiply that by 20 in season six of American Horror Story, where I don't even know what the fuck she was doing. It's, like, the weirdest. <laughs> but I, I think we, we want to see someone who hasn't gone completely unhinged before and isn't known for it, right? Can can Michelle hmm. Pfeiffer go completely mental? Do you think that would work? Have we ever seen that? Ooh, she tried it with. Cat Ooh, Man. I think her and Sigourney Weaver would work very well together. Actually, mm. what about what about Helena Bonham Carter? Ooh, oh yes. I mean, of course, we know yes. she can go completely mental, unhinged. But <laughs> maybe in the other role, that'd be because mm. I think you want someone who's not known for going crazy in the unhinged mm. role, so they can kind of. I think that's why Michelle Pfeiffer's my favourite. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and so Helena far. Bonham Carter would be an interesting pairing, though. I'd be quite intrigued hmm. to see that. Yeah. What 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 changes would you make to the to the story? What, what how would we update it and make it better? Ooh, uh, quicken the pace. She got to get rid of the uh, her mobile phone. <laughs> Take her iPad away at the start. She smashes it. That's one of the first things she does. She smashes her iPad. No, but she's yeah, like a confused yeah. old woman. She doesn't know how to use it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so she has all this technology and she's like, ooh. Uh, and instead of a piano, he uses a keyboard. In fact, can we go full on with that? It's not like, a key- he's not like a pianist. He's like a full on, like, Kraftwerkian synthesizer <laughs> yeah. player from like a, from an out of work, like, band that was big in the 80s, but. And you you oh, get like someone that. like Kevin Eldon oh. to play it. No, you get more... Adam Sandler to play it, <laughs> <laughs> and he just plays these chinkly little songs on a guitar. 
If they were famous, one of them was famous as a child, that would have been in what, like the 60s? 70s, really. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's Jodie Foster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she's mm. reliving, she wants to become the girl at a taxi driver again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to repeat the performance. <laughs> Harking back to when she was a, playing a child prostitute. Harking back to when, uh, oh, what's that guy called? He tried to assassinate the president to impress her. Harking back to those days, the glory days. <laughs> oh. uh, so we could we could definitely add in a bit more ambiguity about their relationship and sort of do that. Oh yeah, better. everything we've um, spoken about it with regards to the weaknesses of it all. Really, the the more yeah. overt setups for things, the the more subtlety to other bits. The no need for the actors to be like. Whatever will I do and all that sort of stuff. It, yeah. <laughs> He's going to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> Set it on a in a house far away from the road, just so that it's you know, you've not got the neighbour snooping around. It's, yeah. Um, definitely. Just get rid of that whole neighbour character altogether. But then you could have like, yeah, the milkman comes around or something and then you can have this moment where she has a chance to do something and can't for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, maybe that's the proper tension. Can we have a neighbour character but you only ever see like the forehead up over the fence. <laughs> he, he comes round and they just have little chats, but it just gives him advice and yeah. Uh? <laughs> uh. I think it should be all female cast. So your big pe- the big pianist could be played by a woman as well. Uh, and then Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> So fat. I mean, not even like, yeah. Well, she, you know, she's a comic. It's not relevant well. to the character that he's fat. It doesn't matter. It is a little bit. Why? Because he's because I because I think there's an air of like the 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 implicit infatuation that Jane has for him, and you kind of meant to think, but he isn't a, a, a dishy young man at all. It's mm. kind of tragic that she's okay. We so we have that. Him. I think he's meant to be gay. Like the mm. the actor certainly was. Mm. Yeah. You can't but tell these I, days. There's okay. the occasional little hint, and I'm sort of like, yeah. I think we're, we're supposed to think he's a very feminine. Yeah, we get, yeah, I, we I, get I, that I, character. We get that character played by Chaz Bono. You got, you got the best of everything. Uh, there. You oh. can't go wrong. You've ticked every box. Hmm. <laughs> well, shall we leave it there? <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this little foray into the past, but if you prefer your films in colour, then don't worry, we've got you covered next week as we jump back on board the Marvel train to look at Ant-Man. And if you can't wait that long, then go to dimreturns.com, where we've already tackled pretty much every other bloody Marvel film. Alright, see you next week.